the last year or so, I've started a tradition with my kids. On Sunday afternoon or evening, we watch a Disney movie together. Now, something that you need to know is that my five-year-old, Isabella, thrives off of high emotion. She thinks it's funny to act scared. She likes the drama of it. But as we've watched various movies, she will genuinely get anxious if the movie has too much tension. She will jump up and down, throw herself on the couch, screaming as she attempts to hide under a pillow. So I have started telling her that the first sign of any conflict for the main character, character, Isabella, it's fine. Aladdin will make it to the end of the movie. (laughs) Now, at first I had to tell her that repeatedly. Every time something seemed to go bad again, I would have to remind her. But I've noticed recently that I don't have to keep repeating myself. In fact, the other day we were listening to an audiobook and things started getting tense for the main character. And she asked me, Mom, will she make it to the end of the story? (laughs) And after I reassured her that yes, she will make it to the end of the story, she was able to continue listening without needing any further reassurances. Isn't life like that? We see something coming and we're not exactly sure how it's going to pan out. Or we get blindsided by something that we didn't expect. And we wonder, how is this going to turn out? Am I going to make it to the end of this story? We would love some reassurance that yes, COVID will be over soon and life will return to normal. Or your wondering child will come back. Or, this medical issue will soon be resolved and healed. But we aren't given such reassurances. However, as believers in Christ, God does tell us, yes, you will make it to the end of my story. And he promises that he will use all things for our good in his glory, that nothing can separate us from his love for us, nothing can snatch us from his hand. Our place with him in eternity is secure and he will never leave us or forsake us. Like my daughter, we are told, you will make it to the end. Yet not knowing the answers to the specific questions of our lives requires faith on our part to trust God through the big and little moments. As we live each day of his story unfolding in the moments of our lives, The author of Hebrews calls us to live by faith. So we're going to look at why we must live by faith. Then how we are to live by faith. We'll talk about the essence of true faith. Then we'll build on that as we look at specific examples of how the Old Testament heroes and more recent heroes have lived by faith. So first, why we must live by faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So faith is not just a nice thing to have. Without it, it is impossible to please God. Drawing near to God without pleasing him would be disastrous. God dictates to us how we approach him. We've looked through the book of Hebrews at the tabernacle, the high priest, 
the holy place and the holiest place. We have seen the very exact way that God prescribed for his people to come to him. In the book of Leviticus, there is an account of Nadab and Abihu, two men who went before the Lord, not following his prescribed way, but offering their own unauthorized fire. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord, and they were consumed. In order to make sense of this, we need to understand that God is a holy God, and we are sinful. To come before God without our sin being dealt with first is to die. Sin must be dealt with before God. And if we don't deal with our sin the way that he has created for us to deal with it, with it then there's no forgiveness for that sin. Because God is the offended one, because God is the greater one, because God is the God of reconciliation that desires for his creation to have fellowship with him, God has given us a way to approach him. We've seen how the Old Testament tabernacle, high priest, and sacrifices were all just a copy or shadow of what was to come in Jesus. Jesus has made the better, complete, perfect, and eternal way that we approach God. And God has said that in order for us to use this way that Jesus has made, we have to have faith in Jesus. That is the only way to please God, the only way to come into his presence. Because through Jesus, our sins have been paid for and forgiven so we can enter God's holy presence. Furthermore, Christ has given us his own righteousness. Philippians 3.9 says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We receive forgiveness in Christ's righteousness through faith. It is the only way to please God. So then, is faith a one-time act? We've believed in Jesus' death and we've been saved by faith. Is that it? If so, then why is Habakkuk 2.4 quoted three times in the New Testament? The verse that says, not the righteous shall be saved by faith, but that the righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.39 quotes Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. The same verse is also quoted in Romans 1.17 and Galatians 3.11. So this is an important idea. Galatians 2.20 says, The life I now live in the flesh, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live our lives through faith. Similarly, 2 Corinthians 5.7 says that we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I started taking piano lessons in the fall. And one of the hard things, there's several of them, but one of the hardest things is when I'm playing and I have to move my hand up or down the keyboard. Now, if it's just, or down the piano, if it's just one note, it's, it's not a big deal just moving it one key. But when I have to jump four or five keys, I can lose, I, I have to look down and do it by sight so I know that my hand is getting to the right spot. And as soon as I look down, I lose my place in the music, and I forget what note I'm playing. But this really neat thing happened in December when I was practicing all my Christmas music. At one point, I realized that 
my hand was going to the spot without me having to look, that I could start playing by faith that my hand knew where to go. I didn't have to keep looking down. And then I could play it smoothly and the piece sounded nice. Faith is like that. We are called to walk by faith, not sight, trusting not like in my illustration ourselves or muscle memory, but in our sovereign and good God. We must live by faith because without it, it is impossible to please God. So now we're gonna look at how. How do we live by faith? Hebrews 11 verses one and six gives us four things that make up or constitute our faith. Verse one says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And verse six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is the essence of true biblical faith. When you have faith that embodies these four things, then you have what you need to live by faith day to day in the little and big circumstances of your life. So first, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. If we track the word hope back through Hebrews, we see it a few different times. I want to look specifically at chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. This is the passage that discusses God guaranteeing his promise with an oath. We're told in verse 18 that he did this so that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that's been set before us. Well, what is this hope that's been set before us? Moving into verse 19, it says, We have, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus has gone into the Holy of Holies, and that is where our hope is anchored. He has gone not just on our behalf, like an Old Testament priest, but as a forerunner. That means that we will go there too. Our hope is that Jesus opened the way for us to enter the holiest place behind the curtain. In other words, come before God, draw near to God. We hope for relationship, fellowship with God. We do have that now, as we can boldly come before God through Jesus. But what we ultimately want is the culmination of that in eternity. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known. We long for that ultimate fulfillment to be fully present with God. So this is what is hoped for. In faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So in order to have faith, you have to be assured that you will get these things that you hope for. So does that mean that you never doubt? Do you know what's amazing about these accounts written in Hebrews 11? How gracious God is in his description of the people. Verse 11 says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. It does not say 
after Sarah laughed at God and doubted that she could have a child at 99, she did conceive, so we'll call it faith, even though she failed to believe at various points. The author of Hebrews, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does not mention Sarah's doubts. God is gracious to us even in our faith. We are called like the father of the demon we are I'm sorry we are all like the father of the demon possessed boy in Mark 9 who has just said to Jesus if you can do anything and then verse 23 and 24 says and Jesus said to him if you can all things are possible for one who believes immediately the father of the child cried out and said i believe Help my unbelief. And Jesus, in his grace, casts the demon out of the child. Faith is not believing perfectly. Faith is coming back to, again and again, the assurance, the confidence that God is going to deliver on his promises. It's crying out, I believe. Help my unbelief. So to live by faith requires that you have assurance, of things hoped for. The second thing is the conviction of things unseen. We must be convinced that these things which we cannot see are real and true. That makes sense, right? In general, the thing that we are having faith for is something we do not yet possess. Otherwise, why would we need faith if we already had it and could see that we have it? If I told you that I have faith that Cricket is going to ask me to teach Hebrews 11 for heart to heart, you wouldn't think much of my faith, would you? We see in chapter 11, most of the examples deal with people doing something, trusting something that they couldn't see was true. Noah built an ark, even though there'd never been a flood and it wasn't even raining. The thing he was preparing for was unseen. Abraham left moved, took his entire household to go to a place and he didn't even know where he was going. That's definitely unseen. Faith requires that we accept as true things that we cannot see and cannot prove. We have to take God at his word, like marching around Jericho for seven days. To live by faith requires that we be convinced of the things which God tells us yet we cannot see. The third thing is, we must believe that God exists. God is the object of our faith. You can put your faith in something besides God, but it's not biblical faith if it is not toward God. We must believe that he exists. Not only that, we have to believe that he is who he says he is. We have to believe that God is as he tells us. He is holy, sovereign, all-powerful, able to do everything, anything. If we do not believe these things, then we will find it hard to live by faith. For example, if we don't truly believe that God is good, then it is hard to live by faith when God is withholding what looks to us like a good thing. My husband's in a place where it is time for him to move from his current job. Due to a variety of circumstances, we both feel an urgency that this needs to happen quickly. 
So he recently interviewed for a job. For lots of reasons, I felt like this is where God was leading. Everything seemed to line up. My husband made it all the way through the interview process, and we were waiting for the phone call that I believed would say, you got the job. But the phone call didn't come. Instead, a text message came saying, we've hired another candidate. To say I was disappointed is an understatement. The implications of him not getting that job were hard. And I did, if I did not believe that God was good, that he heard our prayers to open and close doors, then to live by faith in that situation, trusting that God is still good, still sovereign, still loves us and is providing for us, would have been very hard. Based on previous experience, I can tell you, I would have sunk down, discouraged, feeling lost. God, why didn't he get this job? What are you doing? But I have learned so much of God's goodness in the last five years of my life that I can stand firmly on the knowledge of who God is. I'm not saying I didn't cry, wonder why he said no, and call a godly woman to pray with me. But I didn't question God. I knew that if he withheld that job, it was because it was not a good thing for us. To live by faith requires that we believe that God exists and that he is who he says he is. Last, we must believe that he rewards those who seek him. What is the ultimate reward of seeking God? Finding God. We must believe that when we seek him, he will be found. If we don't believe that he will reward us by finding him when we seek him, then why would we ever seek him? Believing this is what keeps us seeking after him. If you look at the verse right before this one, verse five, it is talking of Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found. What greater reward to be drawn up into God's presence and not see death? To live by faith requires that we believe that God will reward those who seek him. These four things are essential to faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things unseen. We must believe that God exists and we must believe that he rewards those who seek him. So we have the essence of faith. How then do we live? An entire chapter is devoted to giving examples from the Old Testament of men and women who lived by faith. The author starts at the very beginning of the Bible with creation and starts making his way through. He gets all the way to the book of Joshua and he finally says, time would fail me to say. But he still goes on and lists various situations. You can almost feel his longing to keep going, to lay it all out, how each person lived by faith. The examples of the Old Testament heroes in chapter 11 is of them living out faith. Each example is telling how in specific situations, each of these men and women lived by faith. Now here's some of the verbs that were used. You don't need to write these down. These were the things that the heroes did by faith. They offered to God, constructed, obeyed, went to live, received power, offered up, 
blessed, left Egypt, kept Passover, and crossed the Red Sea. Those verbs are pretty meaningless to us. We can't emulate those things. Those were the things they did as they were living, specific to each of their situations. What I want to look at is the why behind their actions. What were they thinking when they did those things? Several of the accounts tell us what they thought, the truths that spurred them on. Now, underneath it all are the four things that we just covered, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen, believing God exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. But each of these given in chapter 11 is more specific and can help us see how to live by faith. We'll look at four different things. Two things to look toward and two things to consider. First, look forward to the city whose designer and builder is God. Abraham did. Verses 9 and 10 say, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city whose designer, and I'm sorry, the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was not just looking forward to the promised land, but to the ultimate promised land. Maybe not turn that way. Which is heaven. As verse 16 tells us, But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. In verses 13 and 14, it says that all of these, talking about the people in chapter 11, acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Abraham knew that this world was not his home. So he looked forward to God's city as his home. Do you look forward to the city? I'll unmute you back there. I mean, I'll mute you back there. Is this one? Okay, great. Okay, so do you look forward to this city whose designer and builder is God? Fanny Crosby did. Fanny was blinded as a baby after a doctor applied the wrong medicine to her eyes. Yet she wrote over 8,000 hymns, and gospel songs, making her the most prolific female hymn writer ever. Fanny memorized five chapters of the Bible each week, starting at the age of 10. (laughs) Convicting, right? (laughs) She was recorded as saying, when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Fanny wrote the hymn, Near the Cross, with these lines. Near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. By faith, Fanny wrote about and lived in light of that better country 
for she looked forward to the city whose designer and builder is God. Do you acknowledge that you are a stranger in exile on the earth? Do you look forward to the city whose designer and builder is God instead of looking to the world as your home? By faith, look forward to the city whose designer and builder is God. Second, consider that God is faithful. Sarah did. Verse 11 says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. God had promised Sarah and Abraham a son, and according to Hebrews, she had faith that he would be faithful to his promise. Do you believe that God is faithful? George Mueller did. In 1835, George Mueller opened an orphanage in Bristol, England. He believed that God would supply all his needs without asking anyone for help. He only told God what he needed. There's a story of one morning at one of George's orphanages. It was breakfast time, and there was no food for the children or money to buy the food. As the children were standing by their chairs, waiting to eat, Mueller prayed, thanking God for what he was going to give them to eat. A man knocked on the door, a local baker. He said that he couldn't sleep last night because he felt that they didn't have any bread and that the Lord wanted him to send them some. So he got up at two o'clock and made fresh bread for them. Then another man came in, the milkman. His cart had broken down outside the orphanage and he would have to have it emptied before it could be repaired. So he gave the fresh milk to the children of the orphanage. Mueller took God at his word when he said that he would supply all of his needs. He wrote a book entitled, A Narrative of Some of the Lord's Dealings with George Mueller, written by himself. In it, he says, this then was the primary reason for establishing the orphan house. The first and primary object of the work was, and still is, that God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care are provided with all they need only by prayer and faith, without anyone being asked by me or my fellow laborers, whereby it may be seen that God is faithful still and hears prayer still. By faith, George Mueller refused to tell others of his needs instead relying on God to supply everything he needed since he considered that God is faithful. Are there any of God's promises that you are doubting? Is there a circumstance where you are afraid he will not provide or a need that he will not meet? By faith, consider that God is faithful. Third, consider that God is is able. Abraham did. Verses 17 through 19 say, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
Abraham believed that God was able to do whatever it would take in order to fulfill what he had promised, even raising Isaac from the dead. Do you believe that God is able to do what he has promised? Elizabeth Elliot did. Before Elizabeth Elliot married Jim Elliot, she went to San Miguel in Ecuador to the Colorado Indians to help her friend and roommate Dorothy. The goal, of course, was to bring the gospel to the Colorados, but they also wanted to translate the New Testament into the Colorado language. The first task in the process was to render the Colorado language into written form. That was the task, the work, that Elizabeth went to do. First, she had to find an informant, someone who could help her understand the Colorado language. It had to be someone who spoke a known language and Colorado. She found a man that was completely bilingual in Spanish and Colorado. Moreover, he was a believer and he was willing to help. She wrote of him, the only brains in the world that contained the languages. She worked with him, ecstatic at the progress. Then one day, she heard gunshots nearby. The man who had been helping her had been murdered. She said, I had desired God himself, and he had not only not given me what I asked for, he had snatched away what I had. She did eventually find another informant to help her, but her work was hard won. She did finally complete an alphabet of the Colorado language. Linguists would then be able to use that as a foundation to communicate with the Colorados. After Elizabeth left that area and moved to another area in Ecuador, she received a letter from her friend and old roommate. All of her translation papers, nine months of work, had been lost. There were no copies. Her irreplaceable work was gone. This is what she wrote about it. Faith's most severe tests come not when we see nothing, but when we see a stunning array of evidence that seems to prove our faith in vain. If God were God, if he were omnipotent, if he had cared, would this have happened? This grief, this sorrow, this total loss that empties my hands and breaks my heart, I may, if I will, accept. And by accepting it, I find in my hands something to offer. And so I give it back to him, who in mysterious exchange gives himself to me. Elizabeth believed that God was still there, that he was still who he said he was, and that he was still able to do all that he had promised. By faith, Elizabeth Elliot, when she lost months of linguistic work needed to eventually translate the Bible into a tribe's language, offered it back to God, for she considered that God is able to do what he promised. Has life taken an unexpected turn and you wonder if God is still able? Have you had your hands emptied and your heart broken? By faith, consider that God is still able. Fourth, look to the reward. Moses did. 
Verses 24 through 26 say, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. One quick note, reproach of Christ, which is what the ESV uses, is kind of a strange phrase. The NIV says disgrace for the sake of Christ. So that's a little plainer, and that's what I'm going to use. Moses looked to the reward of following God, which we discussed earlier was fellowship with God and eventually his heavenly home. And so he left the wealth and privilege of Egypt and chose to be mistreated with the people of God. Now, this is similar to looking to the city, but with a slightly different focus. Instead of looking for his ultimate home, this is speaking of rejecting the rewards of the world and the fleeting pleasures of sin and looking instead to the heavenly reward. Do you look to the reward? Eric Little did. You may know of him from the movie Chariots of Fire, which tells the story of his refusal to race at the Olympics for his event because it would require him to run on Sunday, and he refused to do that. But what you may not know is that the next year, after stunning the world by winning a gold medal in an event that he hadn't originally trained for, he went back to China. He was born in China to British missionary parents and there became a missionary himself. He stayed there, refusing to leave, even during the Japanese invasion of China. He sent his wife and children away, but he ended up in a prison camp where he eventually died of a brain tumor. Five months later, the prisoners in that camp were rescued and stories poured out of little selfless service to the prisoners there, especially to the elderly and sick. One man, Dr. Mitchell, who was a child at the prison camp, Years later, said of Little, none of us will ever forget this man who was totally committed to putting God first. A man whose humble life combined muscular Christianity with radiant godliness. What was his secret? He unreservedly committed his life to Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. That friendship meant everything to him. Little was quoted as saying, When you speak of me, give the glory to my master, Jesus Christ. By faith, Eric Little stayed in China, even when it was dangerous, in order to minister to others and share Christ with them, for he was looking to the reward. Are you willing to take on scorn and be mistreated because you identify with Christ and those who identify with him? Are you willing to choose God even when it is not a popular choice? By faith, look to the reward and consider disgrace for the sake of Christ greater wealth than the fleeting pleasures of sin. Each of these is a way that we can live by faith, by looking to the city whose designer and builder is God, by considering God faithful, by considering God able and by looking to the reward. I tell these stories for two reasons. One is to show what it looks like to live by faith. The author of Hebrews told stories that showed not only God's faithfulness, but also demonstrated how to live by faith. 
so that we too can trust God in those moments of our life when things are uncertain or the unexpected happens. The other reason I tell these stories is because it is one of the ways that we encourage one another and spur one another on, as we've already been exhorted to do multiple times in Hebrews. Hebrews 11.4 says of Abel, And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. This chapter, chapter is often referred to as the Hall of Faith. But it is a not, not a hall that you can walk down and look at each picture and see what's being described. No. Abel still speaks. In verse 12, we will read that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. These are not pictures or a painting of a single scene. These are examples that speak to us. Instead of imagining a quiet hall in a museum with works of art hanging on the walls, imagine a race which is what chapter 12 will tell us we are running, with these heroes cheering us on, speaking to us through their faith, and find other voices of others who live by faith to add to the heroes of chapter 11. Faith is the way that we are called to live in everything we do, our anxieties, our choices, our reactions to circumstances and people. We can be women who live by faith. I encourage you this week to write your own by faith statement. Look back at your life. What can you say that you did by faith? Write by faith, put your name, what you did, and why you believed it. Then think about where are you right now? What is the by faith statement that you are living out right now? We've looked at why we must live by faith. It is the only way to please God. We've talked about how to live by faith. First, the essence of faith. Faith is the firm confidence in things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen, believing God exists, and believing that God rewards those who seek him. And we looked at four different ways that we can live by faith. Look to the city whose designer and builder is God. Consider that God is faithful Consider that God is able to do as he promised. And last, look to the reward and consider disgrace for the sake of Christ, greater wealth than the fleeting pleasures of sin. Do you look forward to the city whose designer and builder is God instead of looking to the world as your home? By faith, look forward to the city whose designer and builder is God. Is there a circumstance where you are afraid he will not provide? or a need that he will not meet, by faith, consider that God is faithful. Has life taken an unexpected turn and you wonder if God is still able? By faith, consider that God is able. Are you willing to choose God even when it is not a popular choice? By faith, look to the reward and consider disgrace for the sake of Christ, greater wealth than the fleeting pleasures of sin. Let me pray for us, ladies. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word and that we can learn from it, not just truths about you, but how to live. We thank you for Hebrews 11, for all these men and women who have gone before us, who have lived faithfully. We pray, God, that you will help us to live by faith, that you will show us the circumstances and the moments in our lives 
where you would have us to trust you and walk knowing who you are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.